What do you guys think of that? Are you, are you getting something out of this, the hidden heroes of the Bible? Has it been good? That's, that's great to hear. Um, if it hasn't been good, just keep that to yourself. But uh, it's been good for me, and I hope this is good for me because I'm preaching. And uh, I am going to look at part three of Hidden Heroes of the Bible. Now, two weeks ago when I spoke, I opened my message with the story of Edward Kimball. You may remember that, you may not, but he was like a modern-day hidden hero that was a Sunday school teacher that led someone to Christ, and that started a chain of events that led to the conversion of Billy Graham. Does anybody remember that? That was Edward Kimball. Today I'm going to open with a story of another kind of modern-day hidden hero named Pastor Jack Wellman. Have you heard of him? You probably haven't because he's a hidden hero in Kansas, and he's pastoring a church that's been faithful there for many years, but his life started out very rough, and his story is a testament to what can happen to a person when the love of Jesus intervenes in their life. No matter how deep the sin, no matter how much the pain, no matter how much tragedy, when the love of Jesus enters into a person's heart, it changes everything. And the hidden hero of the Bible we're talking about today is just such a person. So I thought this story of Jack Wellman would be an amazing way to set the table for you. I'm going to share his story with you now in his own words. This is his testimony. Pastor Jack said, I never knew my real father. My mother had many, quote, husbands, and I was dumped off at my aunt and uncle's to live when I was very young. My aunt and my uncle already had a house full of their own kids, they had seven, plus me and my bigger brother, along with my aunt and uncle, that made 11 of us in one house. He said, I ended up claiming the closet as my bedroom. I didn't know enough to feel sorry for myself as a young kid. I do remember that the only book I loved was an encyclopedia. My mom finally came back for my brother and I, and it was only a short time, and we had a new stepfather. In all those years and in all my mother's different marriages, I never heard the phrase, I love you. I never heard any praise or encouragement, but I did remember being screamed at, spit on, shouted at, cussed out. Uh, I also remember being beaten and slammed to the floor, and one time I was spanked with a log from a stack of firewood. I suffered a fractured skull at the age of 10, and I became so hardened over time that I never gave my mom the satisfaction of crying when she would punish me. He said, by the age of 18, I became an arrogant, hard young boy, and I left home. I had so much hostility that I got into fights with men who were much older than me. I couldn't stand even the slightest insult. I flew off the handle at just about anything. I was a cocky, cocked gun with a trigger finger. I stole, I drank, I used drugs that I could find, and it seemed like I was taking life out on myself and anyone who happened to be around me. I, lived, I started living with a guy that sold drugs and stole anything that was not tied down to support his drug habit. He said, uh, I tried cocaine, acid, marijuana, alcohol, all kinds of drugs. It was amazing I didn't kill myself. One day I was home and a police officer came at the house I was living and he said he had a warrant for my friend and then he asked my name. I said, Jack Wellman, and he said, I've got a warrant for your arrest, too. So off to jail I went. That was the first of many trips to be locked down. 
After getting busted for yet another breaking and entering and possession of a controlled substance, I was taken before the judge who had gotten sick and tired of looking at me, and he sent me off to state prison. After serving there for about two years, I knew I was getting ready to get out. I remember nearing the end of my release, and I had no home, no car, no family. I was so down that the only way I could look was up. I attempted a feeble prayer, but I thought, who am I? And I saw a trustee from the jail bring in a stack of books, and at the bottom was a Bible. I asked him for it, and I checked it out. The irony of ironies is I found the God of the Bible and that he was the only true source of freedom. For me, it took prison to set me free. I opened up the Bible, and I read Psalm 22. It floored me when I read. Imagine what I felt when I read some of those verses in Psalm 22. I thought they were written for me. There are miracles that are far greater than the parting of the Red Sea, greater works than God making the sun stand still, more earth-shattering than the walls of Jericho falling. It is the miracle of a human conversion. The greatest miracle that may happen today may be the conversion of a single human soul. In fact, it may be the greatest of all miracles. And it happens every day when people come to an end of themselves. The former alcoholic, the former drug addict, and after prison, the former homeless man had, been, had reached the end of his rope, and it came, and I came to the end of myself, and there was God waiting for me all the time. Now, since then, I've went on to complete two college degrees. And I'm working toward a master's in seminary. I'm a blessed father and grandfather, and I know it. I make certain to tell my wife and my children every single day that I love them. And today, I have only one left in the nest since my other children have grown up and they have their own kids. I went from a disaster to a pastor. But believe me, it was not by my own hand. Yes, miracles still happen. Amen. Thanks be to God for what he did in Pastor Jack's life. And I pray that he'll do a great work in, in your heart today, too. Can you join me in prayer? Let's give our life to the Lord and, and open our heart to what he wants to say. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our lives into this very space. And we pray that you will give all of us here ears to hear. We pray that you'll soften hearts to hear the word that you have for them. And I pray that you will anoint me to speak out of my own brokenness, out of my own need and lack, and use me to impart something that will lead to eternal change in the lives of all of us here. God, we thank you for it. We thank you for the work you did in Pastor Jack, and we thank you for the deep work you did in this hidden hero of the Bible that we're about to look at. And we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And as I said, you know, only the grace of God can transform a person like Jack Wellman in such a dramatic way. And uh, in part three of our series, Hidden Heroes of the Bible, we're going to look at an amazing story of transformation of a person in the scriptures that had a life of pain, sorrow, sin, and hurt, and the love of Jesus interrupted her life and changed her forever. Everybody knows about these big heroes of the Bible, right? We all know about St. Peter, St. John, St. James. But it's interesting, few people know about this amazing hidden hero who actually throughout church history has been called the apostle to the apostles. 
the first one that saw the resurrected Jesus and preached the gospel and proclaimed his resurrection to the apostles themselves. And who am I speaking of? None other than Mary Magdalene, the apostle to the apostles, this amazing hidden hero of the scriptures. Now, what do we know about Mary Magdalene? We don't know a lot about her past. We do know that she was from a town called Magdala, which, of course, she's Mary Magdalene from Magdala. But we don't know much about her childhood, her upbringing, her parents. But we do know that she had a life filled with pain, hurt, destruction, and sin. And she had an encounter with Jesus and became one of the most close followers of our Lord. And this morning, I'm going to talk about her story a little bit. We do know that she had encountered Christ and experienced a powerful, miraculous exorcism. Listen to um, Luke chapter 8, if we could put that up. The Bible says this um, in Luke 8, now verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided him from their substance. We know that, like I said, we don't know much, but we know that she had an encounter with God. She was set free from demons and she was following Jesus closely. And actually, this woman and a few other really important women supported Jesus' ministry financially. Out of her own sustenance, out of her own means, she would support the Lord's ministry. And yes, it's amazing to have an encounter with Jesus and get set free from demons. But something even more remarkable about Mary Magdalene, this hidden hero, is this. At the most important moments of our Lord's life, she was there. At his crucifixion, I put it on a screen for you, on the screen for you to see. At his crucifixion, guess who was there? When most of the apostles had fled, Mary Magdalene was there. At his burial, Mary Magdalene was there. At his resurrection, Mary Magdalene was there. And you know what? Why this says so much to to me about Mary and and her relationship with Christ and how devoted she was to Jesus is because you know who's closest to you when you face these traumatic experiences in your life and you see who's with you. As some of you might know, um, I lost my father on April 28th of 2023. So just a few months ago, my dad passed away. And... There was the moments where he was brought into the hospital and he was nearly unresponsive. And then there was that second day when we had, he was on life support and there was 40, 50 people coming to say goodbye. And then there was that one moment on April 28th when my dad died. And it's burned into my mind. If you've ever been with somebody when they pass away, you can't forget that moment. And I was there with my dad. It was a gift that God gave me to be with my father. And my mom was there, you know, and I remember a couple of my sisters were there, and my sister Karen's husband was there. My nephew, Abram, was there. And so 
why were we the ones that were there? Because we're close to him, right? When you're dying, when you're buried, these moments that are very, very important, those that are closest to you are the ones that are present, right? You understand that? Well, Mary Magdalene was there at all of these moments. Um, speaking of the resurrection, after Christ has been buried, listen to Mark 16:9. Do I have that scripture up there on the next slide? I do. This is incredible. Now, when, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept. I love this picture here because it shows her preaching the resurrected Christ to the apostles. This hidden hero, the first one to see Jesus after he was raised from the dead and was commissioned by him to go proclaim the gospel. Now, I presented to you this morning a picture of Mary, the devoted follower of Jesus, the woman who was there at the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection. But again, her life didn't start this way. She had a very difficult road, filled with sin, filled with pain and darkness. And I want to spend this the majority of my time this morning looking at this encounter she had with Jesus that transformed her and turned her into this woman that I just talked about. Amen? So let's look at that. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7. Amazing story in the scriptures. We'll take it a couple verses at a time and break this down. We're going to look at verse 36. We'll start there. Then one of the Pharisees asked him, this is speaking of Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Mary Magdalene has also, throughout church history, been called the great uh, myrrh bearer, because myrrh is a, is a fragrant uh, aroma, you know, and so she's been known as the, the one who, who, who brought the, the fragrant myrrh to, to Jesus. And, and here we see her having this encounter, and it's very interesting because this is not Mary's house. This is a Pharisee's house. And a Pharisee had invited Jesus, and the Pharisees were the religious leaders, right? Do we, we understand that? So they were the religious leaders of the time, and they had invited Jesus into this home, and he came into the home, but out of nowhere, this woman comes, and she comes behind the Lord, and she begins to anoint his feet, and she begins to cry and break down crying. Can you imagine the scene? If, if you had somebody in your house like Jesus and somebody comes off the street, it's almost like a homeless person coming in and starts crying at your guest's feet and washing these feet with her tears. And obviously Mary is a woman in great turmoil and great distress of heart. And, and in verse 39, this, this is very telling because when you listen to what the Pharisee thinks in his own mind, it says a lot about him and his own blindness. He says this. 
Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, this is interesting because I don't know if this is true, but I believe that the Pharisee was also trying to understand who Jesus was. I conclude that because he invited him into his home. He wanted to talk with Jesus. He knew about the ministry of Jesus. He had seen and heard the Lord. And he's trying to formulate a picture of who this Jesus is. And then out of nowhere, this woman comes in who is a notorious sinner, and she's washing Jesus' feet with, with this perfume, and she's crying and touching him. And the Pharisee says, Ah, oh, if this man in my house was really a prophet, he wouldn't allow this woman to touch him. See, she's contaminating him because she's a sinner. And the Pharisees were very self-righteous. I don't let anybody touch me. Nothing unclean will come around me, they would say. And he's judging Jesus and he's judging this woman. And then verse 44, if we could put that up there. Can you go back one slide? Let's see. Okay, let's go to the next verse. I actually, I think I left out a verse, and it's really important, but I'll read it to you. In verse 44, so if you turn there, that's fine. If not, I'll read it. So in, in this story, after this happens, the Lord knows what Simon is thinking. And, and the Bible says this, he turned to the woman and he said to Simon. I find this very interesting. So it's, let's pretend um, you're like the woman. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Let's pretend you're the woman. <laughs> okay, you're Simon. Sorry, you're a good guy. You're not really like him, but we're pretending. So Jesus turns towards this woman, but he's not speaking to her. He's speaking to Simon. But he looks at the woman and he says, Simon, do you see her? Do you see her? You see, Simon was so blinded by his self-righteousness that this very woman here was hidden from him. She was hidden because he couldn't see through the layers of his own um, right self-righteousness and sin and judgmentalness. And all he saw was a sinner. He didn't see a beautiful woman created by God. He didn't see this young girl that had been abused. He didn't see her abandonment as a kid. He didn't see how the man had ravaged her. He couldn't see her. Do you see what I'm saying? He couldn't see her. All he could see was a sinner. And Jesus is saying, you don't see her. I see her. I see her heart. And then he goes on and he says this to Simon. I entered your house and you gave me no water from my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But to, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Those who have been forgiven of great sin love Jesus much. And, um, you know, I had, two weeks ago I told you about my uh, Ananias. Anybody remember that? I had my Ananias, John Marucci. McDonald's, I told you about stealing chicken McNuggets and also hearing about Jesus. Well, I also have had many Mary Magdalene encounters. And I believe that for all of us in here, we need to have these Mary Magdalene encounters with Jesus. We need to be able to see our own sin, to see the, the depravity in our own hearts, and that's the only way we can truly appreciate the grace of God. You guys heard my story two weeks ago, so you know I wasn't raised in the church. And, and I'll share with you why I'm bringing this up. I've had conversations sometimes with friends and with my wife and others. And, you know, now we've been serving the Lord for over three decades. And, um, and we've seen people that were really zealous for Jesus when they were young that have fallen away. You know, we've been working with college students like you since a long time, since 1990. And I remember college students that were zealous and they would lead core groups and they would serve God and they would do all these things and they would come to worship. And then I, I talk with them when they're 30 and they're not going to church. I talk about 35 and, and maybe they've even kind of rejected the faith. And it's heartbreaking to think about that. And when I think about that, I think of myself and I honestly evaluate would I do that? Would I walk away from the Lord? And I'm, I'm hesitant to even say what I'm about to say because it can be misconstrued as being arrogance, but you have to understand what I'm saying to you. It's the complete opposite of arrogance, what I'm about to say. I, I find it really hard to imagine me not serving Jesus because he's forgiven me so much, you know? My sins were so great. I did so many things. And he forgave me. And I've experienced peace and freedom. I'm like, how, how would I leave him? Like, where am I going to go? To the world? I already drank of the world. It's polluted water. I mean, by the way, if you want to drink of it, it's not what they tell you. It is. I drank deeply of it. I mean, I took it all in. And it was terrible. And so I think about that. Like, how could I ever leave the Lord? What would I do? Where would I go? He, he's forgiven me. I understand Mary Magdalene in a small way. I get that. I understand those moments at the feet of Jesus. And you all need a Mary Magdalene experience. You all need an encounter. Whether you were raised in the church or you're new to the faith, we all need this because we're all sinners. All of us. When I came to Jesus after I had my Ananias, John Marucci, lead me to the Lord, I gave my life to the Lord, and I was zealous, and I was excited, and I soon found out I had a problem, and that problem was Nino. He was the biggest problem, and that problem was my sin. And um, man, I'm not here to confess all my sins and go down the laundry list, because we'd be here for like, I don't know, decades. But I am here to tell you that there was one area of my life that Jesus really began to work in me, even as a young man. And that was the area of sexual immorality, sexual sin. 
You see, that had become a snare for me from the earliest memories. I remember, um, and again, as I tell this story, just imagine how Mary Magdalene has her story. We don't know her story, do we? But she had her story. She had her past that no one knows about, and I had mine. From the earliest days, I remember just being a, a kid, just a little prepubescent kid, experimenting sexually, just with a, a, a desire, the, following the lust of my flesh, wanting to just give myself to that. I mean, I'm talking as a young person, right? Even started six, seven, eight years old. I got into my teen years, and oh, man, I'm so glad I'm not a teenager anymore. Sorry, thanks. Um, man, that was that's an interesting time, isn't it? Hitting puberty is kind of weird, man. Uh, you guys have passed it. Hallelujah. That was a strange time, man. 13, 14, 15. It was tough for me. And I had all these desires. And, and, and Satan was right there putting hooks in me and hooks in me and snaring me into the sin. So much so that I became fully given over to sexual sin. Now, I didn't even know it was sin. I just knew it felt good and I wanted it. That's all I wanted. Uh, and and lady, can I just talk to the ladies here for a second? I looked here because they're all here. Just kidding. We have women here. Yay! We have women here. Man, we're like old school. We got men and women separated. Oh, there's a woman. Uh, when I when I said this just now, I said I I didn't know it was sin. I just wanted it. I want you to understand, women. The men on this campus that will use smooth words with you and try to to, to seduce you and to, to get you to do things, they don't want you. They want a feeling in their brain, and you're a necessary apparatus for them, okay? You're a tool to give them what they really want, which is a feeling in their brain. Wow, we're going really deep this morning, aren't we? Okay, so you know what you tell them? Get out of my face. That's what you tell them. Get away. Yes. All right, so, but I was one of those guys, and I was enslaved, and and I came to Jesus at 18. And the first thing I realized is the Lord wanted to work in this area of my life. Oh, man, it was tough. It was hard. I mean, I remember start. I would engage in the behaviors I engaged in before conversion. And I felt now something called guilt. Wow, this is, I can't even sin right anymore. You know what I mean? I can't do this. And I would feel guilty about it. And. Long story short, um, I had some Mary Magdalene encounters, some moments with Jesus, but it really began to come to a place of, of, of real uh, deliverance here at the University of Michigan when I was a student here many, many years ago. So I think I just, just before I met Jonathan Fellows, congrats, Jonathan Fellows has been serving this ministry for like 50 years. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but uh, he, he remembers when I was a, a younger believer. And um, I was a student in Chi Alpha, which is the campus ministry H2 was a part of. And um, I loved the Lord. And I was zealous. And people knew that about me. And I was known as like an evangelist. And I was like always seeking God and at the altar. And that was genuine. I did love the Lord with all my heart. But there was this old world that was still pulling me back. Do you understand what I mean? It was There was sin there still pulling me. And I was dating a girl in our ministry. It was not Tammy. 
And um, you'll understand why I'm smiling, because the relationship was not good. Uh, our relationship was amazing. Wow, i got to be careful how I communicate next. We were blessed. We'll get to that in a second. But I was uh, a junior at University of Michigan. I was dating a girl, and I just was not treating her right. I was disrespecting her. I was not being sexually pure. I was just defiling her. I was not being a man of God. And, and the Lord was convicting me of it, and we both knew it was wrong, and we didn't want to do it, but then we'd fall back into it, back and forth, back and forth. Some of you know that pull, that pull. And I went to a church service in Highland Park, Michigan. Anybody know where Highland Park, Michigan is? Six Mile Woodward. Where are you guys? No one knows. Come on, man. All right, some of you know. I went to Highland Park. It was Revival Tabernacle, and there was a man preaching named Tim Delina. If you have any sin in your life, don't listen to Tim Delina. So I went to a church with Tim Delina. It was an old, um, it, it was right on Woodward, six miles, a really rough area. And it was an old, uh, the, like a movie theater, a strip club. And, and, it was, and, and they had bought it and turned it into a church. And Tim Delina got up and he goes, this used to be a triple X theater. He goes, it still is triple X. He goes, we got ex-prostitutes, ex-pimps, and ex-addicts. I was like, man, you're intense. But anyway, he was like that. So he preached a sermon, and I can tell you right now, I don't remember the message at all. I don't know what he said. I don't know what the Bible verse was. But the Holy Spirit came upon me. And when he gave what we call an altar call, and he said, if you'd like to pray, come down to the front and pray, I just like, I don't know if I ran, but at least I did a speed walk. It was like those Ann, old Ann Arbor women that do the brisk walk. You ever seen them? I still don't get it. I'm like, this is weird. I don't know why they do that. But it was like that. I was like that or running to the altar. I knelt down, and the Holy Spirit broke through to my life, and I began to just weep and cry. And see, like Mary Magdalene at the foot of the Lord crying. And she felt so much shame. You notice that she didn't even look at Jesus' eyes. She came from behind him and wouldn't even look up. She put her head down. It's like a, like a dog that's been caught in something. You ever, if you have a pet and you catch him in something, you know how they cower and put them like that? Anybody have dogs that do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's like she just felt like a shame and I can't look. And that's, I felt like this overwhelming guilt and shame. But at the same time, the healing presence of Jesus washed over me. And began to forgive me of my sin. And I made a decision. I'm going to stop this. I, this is not me. I will not do this anymore. By the grace of God. In my own power I will. But through God I will not do this. I'll never forget Jim Kite, my roommate. Poor Jim. He didn't know what happened to me. He's like, wow. You were really praying. I'm like, I, don't, I can't even explain it, brother. Typical guy. He's like, wow, God touched you. I said, yeah, that's it. Let's go. That was it. I mean, I don't remember even talking, but, but Jesus worked in me so deeply in that moment. And um, I talked to the, uh, the young lady that I was dating and, um, in a series of events, and I said, we can't, we can't do this. We have to separate. And it was really hard. It's a difficult thing. Tammy has her own story before her and I met where she went down this road as well. And I said, we have to separate. Because my relationship with Jesus is most important to me. Amen? Like, my 
holiness, my relationship with God, the purity of my heart, the tenderness of my heart is more important than a relationship even. I'm willing to go down at the feet of Christ to wash his feet with my tears and give up anything he asked me to give up. And I gave it up. And the Lord blessed this young lady with a great husband. And um, thank God I made that decision because he blessed me with Tammy. And I met Tammy in uh, 1992. And she was just smitten when she met me. <laughs> and we began to date. And uh, actually, it's, the, it's totally the opposite. I was smitten. I still remember meeting her in the basement of the union. She came up. It was a group of people. She was in crew. I took a, a girl from crew. Um, went to the Pharisees. Or the Philistines. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding, Lord. I don't mean that. No. Crew is a great ministry, by the way. I really do mean that. Because she came to Christ through crew. But... Um, she came up in the basement of the union, and uh, there was like seven people there. And they said, well, this is Tammy Ferguson. That was her name. And I go, I just looked up, Tammy. That was it. I was done. After that moment, I was completely done from then on. And then I met her like six months later, and that's when the pursuit happened. And I want to tell you that I can't, for time's sake, because I want to give us time to pray. And in a little bit here... I'm going to give you an opportunity to have a Mary Magdalene encounter, you know. Um, and I don't want to overstate this and mean it has to be with, like, tears and snot and all that. It doesn't have to be that intense. But if it is that, it is that. But I want to give you time to pray, all of us here, okay, in a little bit. But I, I do want to say this, and then more details to come as you get to know us more. But I had to give over that sexual sin to Jesus, and he blessed me with Tammy, and the Lord kept us pure. And it was the greatest season of my life up to that point. Um, I mean, it was amazing. Our dating relationship was amazing. And God was the center, and we kept him first. And we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But we pursued Jesus together without that guilt and shame. And so God is faithful, and he is good. And what I experienced after my time at Revival Tabernacle and what Mary Magdalene experienced is what I want to close with this morning and go into prayer it's verse 48, 49, and 50 of our passage. I think I put that up there. Let's see. Yes. So after Jesus has this conversation with Simon, Mary is at his feet. Jesus looked to Mary, verse 48, and he said, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him, they began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I received such blessed peace from the Lord when I was at Revival Tabernacle. It wasn't the end of the story, but if maybe you've had these moments of, of confession, and I knelt down and I prayed, and I got up feeling like Mary Magdalene, go in peace. My sins are forgiven, and it changed my life forever, and it changed her life. And she became this hidden hero that we're talking about today. And in just a moment, we're going to pray, and, and we're going to have the worship band. Actually, let's have the band come up. I've got a couple more things to say, but I do want to have the band come up. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. I did want to say this because there's so many um, new people here. We... Um, 
we are a church on campus that wants to talk about real things, okay? Things that are relevant to you and things that that meet, that that you deal with in the real life. And sexual sin is one of them. It's a reality. That's your world you're in, right? Specifically pornography. Pornography is everywhere. It's an epidemic in this nation, in this entire world, and it's just got people in bondage all over the place. And we want to serve you guys and help people get deliverance in this area. That would have been a great time for it. Amen. Thank you. The church is actually talking. Can you believe it? It's like sometimes as a church, churches don't talk about this. This is real. And we have something called Conquer Series that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. It is a intense, amazing Bible-based program to help people get set free from pornography addiction. And so just to just to let you guys know that in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about this. And we want to have some Mary Magdalene encounters. Amen. We want to see people set free. We want to see you guys walk in peace and freedom. And I just wanted to give you that little promo. We're going to talk about that more next week. But for now, can we stand together?